Our minds are so powerful that what we focus on reverberates through every aspect of our lives. So why not see what happens when we put our attention on all the good things people are doing? Join me for the good with Teresa G as we start a ripple effect by focusing on all the greatness in the world. Kimberly Kling was a structural engineer, but that profession made her feel caged and far from herself. After quitting engineering, she worked as a school tour guide at the Phoenix Desert Botanical Gardens, where she discovered a deep passion for plants. Currently, she and her family live on four acres in the high desert in southern Arizona, where they homestead and enjoy a connection to the land. Kimberly has taken the path less traveled and built a business selling her art and herbal creations. She inspires many of us by her choice to create a career that is built around her passions. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me, Teresa. It's quite an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm excited to have you. And you know, one thing I just, I really have enjoyed about you is that after having your son four years ago, um, it didn't seem to slow you down one bit. You have been creating so many pieces of beautiful art since. Um, did, did having your son increase your creativity, you think? It did. It's kind of strange. Um, I think there's something about creating a child that makes you uh, want to keep creating afterwards. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, like once opening I had the gates. him, right, it awakened this creativity inside me that, you know, I've always been a really creative person, but it was a little bit different. It was like, wow, I just created this life. Now I want to keep creating. <laughs> And um, there's also something I think about having a child that it like opens up this um, extreme acceptance and um, acceptance of the unknown. Um, I think that kind For of sure. if you, yeah. you it, it does it opens up the realm of the unknown. Yeah, the second you get pregnant, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I was so sick during my pregnancy that I didn't really do a whole lot. And maybe that was part of it as well. Like after I had him, I, I wanted to, um, get back into like that creative aspect of my life, but I don't know. There's also at the same time, like a lot of guilt and shame around, um, you know, when you have a child, it's like your whole life should be kind of directed towards them. And as a creative person, I did feel a little bit of guilt because I all of a sudden had this really strong creative drive and um, wanted to do all these things. But I also was taking care of this child who I, you know, love immensely. And I was like just completely enamored by him as well. Um, so it was it was a little bit challenging at times to like figure out, you know, how can I put this creativity and love out into the world while at the same time, like giving him what he needs. And, and I you, feel like, in our, Oh, excuse me. I'm in sorry. Our society, it's okay. In our society, a little bit, like when you become a mother, it's almost like you, um, should be directing all your focus on your child. And when you have other interests, it's kind of hard to know like what to do with that in our society. 
It is. It's an interesting paradigm, though, because you have this pressure to get back to work and get back to your life. And, and, you know, people are always asking me like, so when did you, or in the beginning, when are you planning to go back to work? You know, and, but then there's also that pressure of, well, you know, who's watching your baby? Why aren't you with your baby? Like really? So which one am I supposed to do here, people, for to please you? But if if I was trying to please you, because I'm not, but if I was, which one would you want me to do? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So funny. Uh, so it's really intriguing your, that you guys are homesteading in the high desert because your gardens look really beautiful and it seems like you uh, guys have a lot of stuff that comes out of your gardens. So how is it to garden in the desert? Well, um, yeah, gardening in the desert can be really rewarding, but it's also very challenging. Um, it certainly has been a huge learning experience. We're on a well but of course we don't want to use too much water because we're in the desert and our roof doesn't support rainwater harvesting for food because it's that um, polyethylene coated roof. We have a flat roof. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we can't rainwater harvest. Um, We have installed drip irrigation and we do have to irrigate because we just don't get enough water, but we try to be mindful with how much the plants need and, Um, that's really been a lesson in paying attention to the signs that the plants give us. Um, We're in the high desert grasslands, so we have had a lot of challenges. Um, We've had some big insect infestations, and then we have Bermuda grass, which is extremely invasive. Yeah, it's everywhere and it just takes over especially when you irrigate like the second you put water on the soil this bermuda grass pops up everywhere and the rhizomes go down several so feet yeah. it's crazy so we've been trying to figure out what to do about that um last year the squash bugs ate all our squash um <laughs> <laughs> the year before I'm sorry. that we had it's just <laughs> i i totally relate that's why i'm laughing Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I'm sorry that you relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, they're really challenging. And then this year, we had a really um, heavy monsoon season and the grasshoppers just, it was like a plague. Like you would step out in the yard and thousands of grasshoppers would just fly out from underneath you. And they were covering the garden and they literally devoured our entire garden. So they Um, eat everything. They don't have a special species that they like the most. I guess, you know, they went for certain things first, but then once those were gone, like they were eating our tomatoes, they, they ate everything. They ate our fruit trees. Um, we had just planted an orchard, like we got 12 fruit trees and they ate them. So we'll see if the fruit trees come back this spring. Um, I'm fingers crossed. I hope they were okay, but yeah, so that was really crazy, but our chickens were really happy because <laughs> that your we chickens were getting quite fat, huh? Yeah, we let them free range and um, you know, sometimes like sometimes in the spring when it's really dry and stuff like and there's not much growing yet, they start to lose some of their feathers and they just don't look as healthy and they by the end of the summer they were like fluffy and shiny and <laughs> they were laying these really amazing <laughs> eggs with like bright bright orange yolks inside of them. Oh, wow. So, so they're just getting yeah. a lot of nutrition, but your poor garden. Um, 
Yeah. That is, that's interesting. The, the grasshoppers, cause that, so they're just like everywhere. They are just all over. They were everywhere. And what we think is it's a five or six year cycle because when we planted our first garden, we had the same problem with grasshoppers. It was like this one year where they just all came out. So we think that it might be a cyclical thing. So we're hoping for the next five years we'll be safe. (laughs) And then I don't know what, maybe we'll have time to research how we can combat them um, that year that they get really bad again. Every five or six years, you just take, you know, you're like, this is the the summer of the grasshopper. We get to take this summer off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, maybe that's where the whole, like, let the fields lie fallow for the seventh year or something. Maybe that's where that comes. (laughs) that's a good point that's a very good point so we're you know you're gardening what else is um, included in homesteading or what does homesteading look like for your family okay so for us we don't homestead full-time so we're kind of like a micro homestead but we just do what we can and mainly we wanted to um have this be an experience for our children and kind of experiment and just see what we can do to like get closer to the land that we live on. Um, We have four acres and it's, so we're in the high desert grassland and it's full of mesquite trees. It's really funny because our lot, which is right across the street from my mom's house is like covered in these mesquite trees. And my mom's um, yard is like all grass the native grasses and some yuccas and hardly any trees. So we feel like we're really lucky with our property because um, we actually have harvested the mesquite pods to make mesquite flour. Um, and I'm getting mm, really interested. What do you cook in, with the mesquite flour? Oh yeah. So, so far we've made, we've just added it to like other things that we're cooking and it's, you know, really nutritious and it's sweet also. So it has this very unique flavor. Um, we have added it to like banana bread and we've made, um, I think we made tortillas with it once. Like we tried to make some tortillas, but mainly we've just added it into things that we've been baking. Well, I've had those mesquite pods before and they're really quite a unique flavor. They taste pretty good though. Yeah, they're really interesting. Um, we have four acres full of them. So we've harvested them um, before the monsoons came and we blended them in my Vitamix blender and made flour out of them. And um, we've used that in things like banana bread. And I think we made tortillas out of them once. It's really nutritious and pretty cool to be able to use something that grows wild in your own yard. Yeah, really absolutely. Fun. And they are pretty, really nutritious, aren't they? Yeah. Because this brings me up to the fact that uh, you are an ACOSA alumni, which is crazy because we didn't meet each other at ACOSA. And it's just crazy because out of all the alumni, there's probably, I don't know, at the most three or three to 4,000 alumni on this whole planet. Uh, so we're <laughs> a unique breed. And we actually yeah. met because we were pregnant at the same time with our, our, uh, children. And so I was just wondering, what was your experience of ACOSA? Oh my goodness. So ACOSA really changed my life. Um, Before I went to ACOSA, I was part of a fairly insular Midwestern community that was very homogenous in its thinking. I had actually traveled outside of the country a few times, but hadn't really been exposed to a lot of thoughts that um, 
like challenge the status quo. Um, so the greatest lesson I think that came out of Ecosa was learning to challenge my own paradigm. And the three-day orientation at the beginning really shifted me. Um, I had actually never been camping outside of a formal campground before. Oh, wow. That's an introduction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My family and I used to go camping every summer with my cousins, and we'd go to Indiana Dune State Park, and we had like this three-room tent and, you know, the bathrooms and showers and all of that. So it wasn't really like the full-on camping experience. So um, that orientation with ECOSA just completely shifted me. Um, I think there's something really amazing that shifts internally when you're brought into nature with nothing but your a few friends, a knife, a wool blanket, and an extra pair of socks. I think- Could you, really, did you guys, you guys were able to bring knives? I don't think we were brought knives. Yeah, we brought, I know we brought knives because um, I bought like a special one. <laughs> it was on our list. So that's interesting. Okay. That, that Maybe I just forgot. Great. Maybe. <laughs> I don't but remember why... using it a lot. <laughs> yeah, because um, for some reason, I remember that we had to go find rocks that were sharp enough to use as mm. a tool. Did you guys have to do that? Yeah, we did that as well. He taught us how to like um, hit the rocks at the angle to make sharp, um, to make them sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the mesquite. That's but you know that's where I learned about the nutrition in mesquite uh, pods and the mesquite trees because oh, right. he taught us how to, you know, that you could just eat off of those to survive while you were hiking through the desert. Yeah, yeah, that so. was I, my introduction as well to. Um, eating wild plants and I was so fascinated by it but we didn't really like do that a whole lot during the trip he did explain a few things and I think that was kind of like a light bulb moment for me and it was part of what started opening me up to like this world of foraging and wild plants and herbalism um but you also you realize like how much information we've lost in our modern modern society when you are out yeah are out there and especially with someone who's so knowledgeable like um you know even just something as simple as building a fire or how do you know, I stay I, warm? I have to clue <laughs> the listeners in because I I we didn't really <laughs> I just um uh, oh, with, right. it goes we go on the first um few days you're there you go on a three-day survival course with uh, Cody Lundin and you're only allowed to take like a wool blanket, your water bottles and a knife, I guess a knife. Um, I probably am forgetting that part cause I probably never used my knife, but, um, and, and Cody teaches you how to survive off the land. So you're eating, um, he's teaching you what edibles you can eat off the land. Um, he's teaching you how to build, uh, shelters and he, it's just basically you're, you're with your classmates, which by the end of the trip are your tribe because you're so close. And, um, it's just a really interesting eye awakening experience. So that's what we're talking about just to let you guys all know. <laughs> yeah, I Explain that a little more. <laughs> I didn't do there. So, um, yeah. but it, you know, one of the experiences I had was we were all laying on the ground at night. And, um, at some point at the night, there was like hooves, like right above my head, oh. just like tons of hooves running over my, and I'm just like, Ooh. Oh my gosh, please don't step on my head. <laughs> you know? 
Oh, is it javelina or something? I have no idea. I have no idea because I'm such a scaredy cat. I just like when that things happen, I, you know, I put my head under the, um, the blanket and just scoot next to whoever I was <laughs> sleeping next to yeah. and just pretend like it's not happening. That, that's my response. <laughs> so, oh my but I'll never forget that moment because I've never had hooves that close to my head, whatever that was, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. I know like the thing for me, I don't think I slept very well either. And um, I remember we were looking for scorpions right before bed and we found oh. a couple oh no we found a couple right where we were sleeping so it was like <laughs> oh <laughs> I don't like right. this too much <laughs> this is you know but but those moments were are you know pretty small comparative to just yeah. the complete awe and um I don't know I just felt it uh, for me it was a feeling of complete comfort and I yeah. I really it wasn't a, a, t- a experience of suffering for me but I'm you know, I've been being outside is a huge part of my life. Um, and I just thought it was really, really fun. But one thing I noticed, you know, how they have you come back and when you come back to, uh, Prescott and you talk about in class, you talk about what you felt when you reentered society. And one thing I noticed was that I sort of, as I came back into town, I just felt, and I told Tony, I was talking to Tony about this, that I just felt so, um, overstimulated after Mm. being three days of complete, um, you know, just being with nature and with all these awesome souls. And so did you notice anything like that or what was your experience when you came back? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I definitely felt that. Um, I don't remember very strongly. I just remember getting in the shower and I was like, (laughs) I spent so much time in that shower. I was like, this is the most amazing thing <laughs> yes. ever. And I think it it really opened me up to like appreciating nature and will, wild lands and being immersed in that so much more. But at the same time, it also opened me up to this gra- great appreciation for modern conveniences. And it was like on both ends of the spectrum, I was just like so grateful for all of it. <laughs> I agree. After that shower, you just feel amazing. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, it was like the sense of like, oh my gosh, I just did that. I can do anything now. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just make, bo- when you experience something like that, you make bonds with people that are, you know, quite strong, I think, because you're just yeah. taking away all of the fluff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that it was a really amazing experience too. And yeah, it set the tone for the whole rest of the semester because it really did create that bond between all of us. And it's, I just can't go back. To, I just go back to the fact that it's, it's just amazing that, um, we both went to Yakosa and we had, cause it's not like, it's not very often that you ever run into people that wouldn't go into, go to Yakosa. So it was just sort of a fun commonality we had, which we have a ton of yeah. them, but that was from the very beginning. So. Yeah. Um, I love, I love how like, um, people are kind of thrown into your lives like that sometimes, like you keep reconnecting. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Anyways, yeah. Um, so tell me the story about when you were a structural engineer and you decided that you just couldn't do that anymore. What was that process like 
realizing that you went to school for something and you just, it wasn't a good fit for you? Yeah. So I grew up being, um, the type of child that I was very highly sensitive, but I also always wanted to please people and I was great at math and science. So, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I graduated high school and um, found engineering. And I was like, well, you know, it seemed like it was a profession that made a lot of money and was highly like um, regarded and I could use my math and science skills. And so I went into it kind of um, partially because it seemed like the right thing to do, even though I had always said in the past that I wanted to be an artist and a biologist. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's very Um, different. Yeah. Yeah. So once I started engineering, um, I didn't really realize this until I started working in the profession, but I was so disconnected from myself in that job. And I started having like, really bad stomach issues and anxiety. And I just, I really felt miserable. It was like I was in jail (laughs) because I was sitting in this room with no windows for at least nine hours a day. Um, You know, no sunlight, no all, you know, air conditioned, artificial air behind a computer, crunching numbers basically for nine hours a day. And that to me was like my idea of jail. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would just break out in tears some days at my desk and like have to run to the bathroom to pull myself together. Um, And I would try, you know, on my lunch breaks to just get outside and be outside as much as I could. But um, it just really was like, I felt so disconnected from who I wanted to be. And I felt like I wasn't contributing to the world in a way that I knew that I could. So it was almost like I was wasting my life sitting behind there in the desk. And also I um, was designing, I was, I was helping basically these large office buildings. I was doing the math to make sure that these large office buildings would stand up and not fall down. <laughs> that's, and, an important, that's an important job though. <laughs> you know? It is important. That's true. But then I was going out once in a while to the, the sites where they were building these office buildings and it was like this beautiful desert. And I knew that they were going to come in and blade the desert. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't live with myself. It was like, you know, maybe I could make a change from the inside. I kept thinking like, is there a way that I could get them to see this differently and maybe like preserve part of the the land that they're building these on? But I was just this number cruncher. So I really didn't have a say in the design or what happened in the construction site. And I felt sort of helpless and like, I didn't really want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. So One day I was in the car with my boss on the way to a meeting and he asked me something about my job and I just completely lost it and started crying in the passenger seat. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't like this and I'm not happy. And he was just, he was such an amazing person and he was like so incredibly um, gracious with me. And he was like, okay, well, you know, why don't you 
work here for two more weeks and wrap everything up. And I quit without knowing what I was going to do. And I was living in Scottsdale at the time and had no backup plan. But that was, I guess, my first real lesson in like trusting that if I followed my gut and did what like I felt, you know, followed my intuition and did what I felt was the right thing for my path that I would um, be okay. Mm -hmm. And things would, things would happen to, you know, keep me safe. (laughs) And so I actually ended up um, quitting that job and went from making like $60,000 a year to um, $10 an hour. But I worked at the the Desert Botanical Gardens in Phoenix and I was um, taking school children on tours and um, teaching them all about the desert. So that was amazing. And I was so happy doing that. Um, So I don't regret that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that, you know, how important it is that you're doing something that feeds your soul, you know? Yeah. Or otherwise your soul yeah. is just, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know how many people go through these experiences, but I certainly did go through that, um, something similar. And I think that I'm so thankful for that whole experience because it really just changed my whole outlook on life and business and how I want to make money and, and, um, realizing that that's a huge choice that's, that, mm. you know, reverberates through every part of my life. So, and you, yeah. you, you looked at the, you know, it seems like you went through a very similar process. Um, yeah, definitely. Which is funny because we seem to be on this very similar path because, um, w- right after we had our kids, our kids are the exact same age. They're actually born in the Ooh. same month. And, um, which is, also funny. And so when you, after you had your, um, child four years ago, um, you had the experience of getting pretty sick after, and it's interesting mm-hmm. cause I did too. And, but you talk about that experience, like it was a gift in the sense that it empowered you. And I love that. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us about that? Sure. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think our bodies go through so much as women and during the whole birthing process. And I, I did get really sick afterwards. Um, I was exhausted all of the time and I was really sore and achy and I started having these migraines that were sort of debilitating, um, and actually started having neuropathy and my vision started blurring. Oh, that's scary. Um, Yeah. And so I have, um, autoimmune diseases that run in my family and my grandmother actually has MS. So I was kind of worried about that. I went um, to my doctor and they did a bunch of blood tests and I saw a neurologist and different specialists and I had an MRI, which came back normal and That's the good. blood test. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Although I never had it with the contrast. So I'd be interested to go back and see, but I was breastfeeding at the time. And they were like, well, if you have this, you can't breastfeed for three days. I'm like, well, (laughs) I guess I won't be doing that. But um, everything in the blood test showed up normal, except for I did have a B12 deficiency. So they put me on shots right away. And that did seem to make a little bit of a difference. But the um, achiness and fatigue still remained. And 
my doctor just kept writing it off as like, oh, you're just, you know, a mom, you're And that's what they tend to do too much. You know, it's either yeah. depression or you know, it's they blame breastfeeding, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that too. They did that too. They're like, Well, your body's using all these nutrients and you're just, you know, this is normal. And I was like, you know, no, it's not. I know my body that this level I know my body and I know this level of fatigue. I see other moms and I talk to other moms and they aren't going through this. Like this is more than just a little bit of being tired. And why does my body ache everywhere? Mm -hmm. You know, so I still, I went to several different doctors and it felt like they were almost writing me off as just being kind of like paranoid. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm experiencing these things, but nobody could give me an answer. And then I had this, weird skin infection at one point that um they put me on antibiotics that, for thought and it was like yeast or something right I actually thought it was a brown recluse bite oh, and I still <laughs> I still don't know yeah and then they like they thought maybe staff and so I don't know but I they put me on these antibiotics and I got after that like really sick I started having um, meningitis symptoms and then this one day, like my arms started going numb and I'm like, oh my gosh, am I having a stroke or what's happening? So I had, um, my husband took me to the ER and while I was in the ER, I started breaking out in this rash. So I'd been sitting in the ER for seven hours and finally the doctor came over to look at me one more time and he was like, hmm, that's an odd rash. Um, let's get her in the room right away. And it turns out like the rash looked exactly like meningitis. Mm. And I had the stiff neck and like all the classic symptoms of meningitis, the high fever and everything. So they tried to do a lumbar puncture on me and they were unsuccessful with it after three times. And, and did um, it, was it meningitis? Well, so it ended up, I don't think it was because what they did was he was like, well, I can't get any spinal fluid, so we can't tell for sure, but it could be an allergic reaction to the antibiotics. Mm. So they took me off the antibiotics and they sent me home and they were like, if you get worse, it's probably meningitis. If you get better, then it was probably the antibiotics and I got better. So, so it was the I antibiotics. Was, yeah. And that, yeah. Know, it can lead. There's so many natural antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one, I'm not sure. It was Bactrim, but I just, I had a really bad reaction to it. So I know not to take that anymore, but I guess in the process, what happened was like, I was like, okay, you know, the doctors aren't fixing me. Like the, I've been to so many doctors, nobody can figure out what's wrong. I need to like start figuring this out for myself. <laughs> so I started just researching things and trying things and like some of it started to work. <laughs> and to me, that was Take your power really back. empowering. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I am. I'm going to take my power back. And like, I'm not going to listen to you when you think I'm crazy because I'm coming in with these symptoms that aren't going away. Like there's something really wrong here. And um, I started learning about different herbs and trying things. And I started taking nettle and quercetin for my allergies, which I've had chronic allergies my whole the life. Nettle, um, I take that and it is amazing for allergies. Yes. I don't think I've had yeah, allergy. Yeah, I was so I don't think I used to have these terrible allergy outbreaks in the summer. 
because I live in this huge like farming field and whenever they would plow or anything I'd have it and I have not had a allergic allergy attack for I don't know since I started it two years ago wow that's amazing yeah I had a similar experience I still did have a few days where I went off of it and then it had to build back in my system but the nettle quercetin for me is just been it's been amazing and it's worked better than any um, synthetic allergy drug that I've ever taken. So that's so I cool. was kind of, yeah, I was like, okay, this stuff really works. And, um, you know, at the same time, I knew that the nettle was actually really good for my body too. It's, it's, you a know, it's actually nourishing mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's nourishing me instead of like taking, you know, Claritin or one of those where you're actually, um, like they've found that loratadine can actually um, lead to dementia and it like messes with your gut biome and everything. So I'd much rather go the natural route. And I started also working with different herbs to rebuild my immune system and repair my gut and like uh, reishi mushrooms and elderberry and marshmallow root and calendula, which we grow in our garden. Um, and I started eating, making homemade sauerkraut and tra- just trying to eat a bunch of fermented foods. Um, so yeah, I kind of like went down that rabbit hole and got a little bit obsessed <laughs> and started trying to learn everything that I could. Well, it's interesting, you um, you know, when you're talking about this, um, something, a quote that, that you wrote is says, I have this hunger that was released in my soul, this hunger to learn as much as I can about this earth, the plants, the animals, the stones, and how they shape and collaborate with us as humans. This hunger to relearn ancient wisdom of earth connection. And so tell, talk to me about that. And did this, did this hunger start when you were searching for answers for your health? Or did this hunger start when you were on the three-day trip with Cody London and tell, tell us a little bit more about what you mean about Mm. that. Yeah, I think that three-day trip was probably like the seed that was planted, but it really was a winding path up until a couple of years ago when it really started to take root inside me. And, um, I think there were a few really strong catalysts, the birth of my son and going through that whole experience with you know, empowering my own health and then, um, learning more about plants. And I also got involved in this online group with a bunch of women and we kind of just formed this bond and sisterhood. And that was a uh, very, um, opening and empowering as well. So those three things kind of coincided hand in hand, and they brought me closer to this connection that I felt was just buried deep within me, and hadn't really been awakened yet. And um, I think it's this knowing that we are nature and we're not separate from it. And, you know, I had known that maybe intellectually before, but it had, it wasn't embodied. (laughs) And so I feel like recently, like I've started to just embody that connection to nature and it's like this deep knowing that 
the plants and Mother Earth are like part of our DNA. And we we evolved with the plants over the millennia and they are this part of us. Like they're they're in our DNA, they're in our bodies and we need them and our minds need them and our spirits need them. And I wholeheartedly feel that if we could reawaken people to this deep and ancient connection that they have with the natural world, that we could reconnect people with themselves. And there would be so much less pain and suffering for humans and the whole planet. Wow. Yeah, that gives me goosebumps for sure. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so I totally agree with you in so many ways there. And it makes me sort of think about um, Pat McNabb, who is going to be on the show. And she talks about how um, we're a closed loops uh, system and how the water, air, and the elements have basically been here through all of time. So she mm. has a beautiful story about how the water, we, you know, every time we drink water or we use water, we're connecting to all of our ancestors and all life on earth. And um, that really mm. brings me, you know, what you said really brought that to mind. And it's true when you start thinking about um, the world we live in, in that sense, it changes your complete approach. And it's also a very healing thought. Yeah, it's very good. Um, and so is this what, is this where your company, Joyful Roots, um, I love that name, by the way, I just, I love it so much. Just the name Thank of it you. brings me joy. Um, so is that <laughs> what sort of inspired you to start your company, Joyful Roots? Yeah, well, actually, it's interesting because I started it, um, right when I finished grad school in landscape architecture and it's had many evolutions. So it, it began as a landscape design company and then um, evolved into my artwork. And now it's evolving into this botanical wellness that I've become really interested in. Um, so I'm really happy that I had the foresight to pick a name a while back that worked That's for all so encompassing. Many yeah, I didn't know that about landscape yeah. architect. That's cool. That's a great name for that too. You're right. So the, right now you are creating so many awesome herbal creations. Um, can you tell us about them? Sure. Yeah. So the big project I've been working on since um, mid-year last year are my Ascension kits. And I formulated six different botanical products to include in the kit. The kit's meant to help you enhance your spiritual uh, practice or daily life with easy self-care rituals. So these are simple botanical tools that use aromatherapy and plant power to ground you in your senses and uplift your mood help your skin glow and support your connection to mother earth. Um, there's two ritual oils that are really luxurious that you can use on your face or your body and a room and body spray for clearing the energy in the room and aromatherapy um, roll-ons where I use plant essential oils. And those are based on the Celtic spiral of energy points. And so um a huge goal of mine is to help people remove 
toxins from their life. So I've been working on formulating these products that are um, completely um, natural, toxin-free, botanically based, and um, really meant to engage our senses and connect us with the plants. And they're also at the same time very effective. They sound fabulous. I can't wait to, I need to order, I need to order quite a few of those that you listed actually. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd love and people can, can go online and get it at, what is your website? It's www.joyfulroots.com. Yeah, that easy. is easy. And I just, I love Joyful Roots. I just love that name. Um, so, you know, something else that you wrote recently, um, and I want to talk about it is you say our actions have the power to heal. You are not alone. I am with you. We are in this together and we are here for each other. Let's come together and shift from the old Renaissance to the new one. Now is the time for us all to choose a new paradigm. So, and what is that? Hmm. What is that? What is that new paradigm? And tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, I really do feel like we're being activated into a new paradigm right now. Uh, Some people would maybe say that we're entering this apocalypse, but actually the word apocalypse comes from a a Greek word meaning an uncovering. Mm. And so it's kind of this disclosure of knowledge or revelation. And... I believe that we're maybe in this, it could be the beginning of an apocalypse and that it might not be actually a bad thing that we're gaining access to all this knowledge and these thoughts and ideas and spiritual connections that um, are rapidly changing who we are. And so, um, you know, we kind of have this choice, like, are we going to go down the path of fear and negativity, or are we going to choose to access this um, embodiment of, like, being present and living in harmony with nature? And I feel like at the same time, um, it's also becoming more about community. And so we're seeing, like, this, you know, major discourse like all the these shadows are coming up in society like we're seeing all these these um things coming to light things that we haven't addressed yeah like things that are coming to light that we haven't really addressed that we've maybe thought we've healed but haven't really fully healed them so now we're being asked to look at them again and um Part of this, I think, is happening, you know, obviously because of like, you know, who's coming into power right now in our country and stuff. But also we have this amazing access to all of these thoughts and to other people through the Internet. And ideas are being transmitted to one another with this amazing speed. Um, When you think about it, we've all kind of become a part of this amazing network of ideas and we're all interconnected. So. If we use this, we can really, we can use all this knowledge that we have at our fingertips now and this community that we've created to choose to use it for the benefit of people and the planet. And I think that like now that we have access to 
all of this knowledge, we need to start bringing that into our physical world by creating stronger communities locally and in towns, our towns that we live in. Um, I think it's time for us to start standing up to the current paradigm of separation and say, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore. I'm going to not follow the status quo and keep thinking that everyone around me is my enemy. It's time for us to work together and embrace our differences and, and become more of a community. And I really think that this can be done and that um, we're reaching the tipping point of community being more important than competition on a grand scale. And I hope that I, I see that in my lifetime where community is the one that wins out. I do too. And building the community, um, you know, I sit here and I think, how many neighbors do I know? Like, do I want to stop by and just, you know, bring my neighbor cookies like they did in the times when community was important, you know? And in certain times, people mm-hmm. would immediately gather their neighbors. Um, when they moved into town yeah. or moved into their new house, they would gather, create that community by going out of their way to go and meet all their neighbors. And it's a good reminder that that's like a simple way to maybe start building that community is for all of us to reach out to our neighbors a bit more. Um, but I love, I love all that. And I, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you about that. Um, so thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for that. And tell me, so what's something you do for yourself every day that makes you a better you? Um, well, I think there's a few things I do, but one of the things that I feel like is so necessary to my well-being and my soul is to go spend at least five minutes outside um, in nature or just in my backyard. And I actually like to like take my shoes and socks off and put my feet on the ground and get grounded and um, just like listen to the birds around me and feel the wind on my skin and try to be as present as I can. Mm. I love that. And something else that I just want to finish off with, um, everybody can think about too, is you say, what if every one of us who lives in comfort chooses to use our voice to speak up for someone or something that has no voice? Yeah. I'm trying to remember who, um, somebody put that thought into my head a while back and I can't remember who it was, but We have so much privilege in this country. And if I think about it, you know, I have a warm house to sleep in and the comfort of electricity and all these modern conveniences, a refrigerator to make my food last longer, access to all this knowledge through the internet, a car to get me places. I feel like I have this duty to use my, these comforts that I've been given and all this knowledge and my voice to speak up for those who are less fortunate and also for those beings that don't have the language to express their needs to us, at least as humans. So I don't know. I ask myself this question, should I live in comfort and ease all the time or should I step out of my comfort zone at least once in a while to take a stand for what Mm -hmm. I think is right? Um, Public speaking doesn't come naturally to me. I actually have grappled with a lot of anxiety and even panic attacks when 
I speak publicly. Um, but I just keep going back to like, I can, I can choose to be uncomfortable. Sometimes I don't have to be comfortable all the time. It's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes and to choose to speak up and use my voice that I've been given um, to make an impact. Completely. And I, uh, I feel the exact same way. And I'm, abs- I'm actually challenging myself because I often just don't want to, I don't want to ha- be in conflict, you know, but there is something mm-hmm. to say. There's something to say that's very empowering, you know, when you stand up for what you believe in. It, and you can and you can do it in a very kind, heartfelt, loving way. So you're not um, continuing, yeah. um, you know, negativity or um, it, you don't ha- have to do it in a confrontational way. And I think that's the art and the balance is figuring out how to uh, stand up and say what you need to say in a loving way that's full of kindness. Exactly. Yes, definitely. We can all choose to use our voices, but do it with kindness and love. Well, I have to tell you, this conversation fed my soul today. So thank you so much. I could talk to you all day. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Teresa. It fed my soul as well. It was so wonderful to talk to you. Yeah. Well, thank you and enjoy. Enjoy the rest of your day, everyone. I'm Teresa Gabrielle, and you've been listening to The Good with Teresa G. You can follow The Good with Teresa G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to the Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.